So uh, I should add that I have today with me, I'm on brand. I have the Maxwell House coffee. There's there's grinds in it and everything. I, lo- I love it. <laughs> and uh, we were talking before the podcast. Uh, welcome to Meet the Creatives again. And uh, we were talking before the podcast about uh, I recently had somewhat of a uh, quarter life crisis finding the old Maxwell House can um, that I... So is this even possible? You had a quarter life crisis. Are you even quarter... 25. Quarter- I'm, I'm within the... Uh, I, I meet the... Okay. So you hit it on the nail. <laughs> I, I've always listened to John Mayer and I've been waiting my whole life to have a quarter life crisis. I didn't think it would be so so sad. <laughs> uh, but, but it's uh, about Maxwell coffee so that's like a pretty happy yeah, yeah pretty yeah. um low impact crisis. yeah it was good it was good it's one of those real con- connection real affinity with the brand moments uh <laughs> but i found uh the old maxwell house cup of coffee that i would put all my markers in um and i know that other people have kind of talked about having this moment of of you know searching for when their when their love for design and art started and in a lot of ways it started with that coffee mug uh, but it was the orange and blue coffee mug, the original. And then I know for a while they had that white kind of boring one and it kind of, the brand had gotten kind of diluted. And then I sure. know at Bulletproof, uh, where you work, for those of you who don't know, um, you guys kind of brought that, that back. You brought the classic look back and then you added all of these beautiful kind of shadows and, and highlights to it, which I know you guys have also done with like Ritz and stuff like that. So I love yeah. the, the Bulletproof aesthetic. So let's talk about... Let's you know talk about Maxwell House. What was that like to to work on such an yeah. iconic brand and to kind of bring it back to the, the roots? Yeah, I mean it was it was a really um, great experience for me. It was a brand that I had sort of chased in a way throughout my career. Yeah. Um, when I worked at Sterling, they had done some. I, it wasn't full on kind of pack design, but there were some mood boards and some positioning things. So I I, I did those boards when I was much younger. So. Um, and it was a brand that I always saw in the store and thought, man, like it'd be good to get your hands on that one and sort of get it, get it right again, get it feeling like the proud kind of brand that it should be and has been um, in the past, as you noted. Right. Um, so it was, it was really a matter of sort of stripping back the layers of, of over time what had um, been done to it, sort of the, the layers of Photoshop effects that didn't really have any strategic rationale or really any link to the brand equity. So that's really the first job is you go into that old house, you kind of peel back the layers of paint and wallpaper and, and what's underneath, what's at the kind of soul level of right. the brand. Hopefully, that's what we did. Yeah, no, definitely did that. And um, I know on, on some other brands, you guys have done the same thing. Um, I know on Ritz, you kind of, you guys have like mastered the art of like, bring, like bringing it out. Like, because I know that some brands, uh, sometimes in package design, um, like you said, they're kind of unnecessary. Um, yeah. How do you know where to kind of um, add something to it and then to kind of take it away? Because I think with Bulletproof, what's so great about um, your packaging is that uh, it looks very simple. But if you if you look at the type effects and you look at the way in which you guys are doing it, it's actually quite complicated. It'd be kind of hard to replicate it if you didn't know what you were doing. Yeah, totally, man. I think, uh, you know, the simplest packs and the the simplest things maybe in, in life to get slightly philosophical. They're, they're the hardest things to pull off sometimes. So with, with a pack design like Maxwell House with Ritz, you know, what are you really saying? What are you really hanging your hat on as, as a brand? So for us, it always goes back to what we call this idea of, of soul power. So soul being the sort of intrinsic um, history, the story, what, what the brand really owns and what only that brand can say to the consumer. Right. Um, and then the power aspect 
it is that that stripped back confidence. So when you do have such a great story like Maxwell House or like a Ritz, um, you can just say it really confidently. And that does, you think in the competitive or the retail context, that's a huge thing for us. So making sure that within that context, not only can shoppers find you, but they really gravitate towards towards that pack. So it's really about, you know, like I said, intrinsically, what what can you say? But just say it really simply. Get get to the point because people do not spend time um, right. shopping. They want to get in and out of these stores as quick as possible. How do you navigate situations like that where it's like you know you, you're dealing with a client who may want to move it into the future and do things that their competitors are doing, but there's so much equity within their brand. Do you ever have? Is it kind of difficult to explain to them that reinventing the wheel could be like detrimental to their brand? Yeah, I mean, um, if you want to talk about a Sterling story, the sort of the Tropicana yeah. thing. Um, yeah, 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 I know. Sterling was, and one of my really good friends worked on the design, the sort of the design they ended up ended up going back to. So that whenever you go into a meeting, even to this day, and that Tropicana thing was it was quite a few years ago now, but that's still on everyone's sort of minds as a, you know, do your research, make sure it's on brand, it's on right. equity, so that you avoid any kind of um, any situations. But beyond that, the sort of drama uh, of that, it's when you get in to the room, you really have to go back to what what does the brand own? What is the core kind of um, hook, the trigger, the emotional soul of the brand? And that kind of, and that always guides us from a visual point of view. Um, so when you really have that in your mind and you have a great respect for the brand, I think that's the key too. Um, when we work on these brands, we love these brands. I love these brands. So whether it's Ritz in the UK, the team there, you know, grew up with that brand, has a real affinity for it. And then when the US team, it's the same thing. Like we want to do the best for that brand. Um, and we have a, a great kind of lineage with it. In every meeting we go into, oh, I love Maxwell House. And it's true. Like we, I have that cup of Maxwell or the, the can of Maxwell House with my crayons or Ritz when my parents had parties. So it's like you yeah. want people to feel the same way you do about those brands. So a lot of the times it is getting getting to the soul of it and then just not overdoing it, not overcomplicating it. Because when yeah. you have these great brands, you don't have to add that much. Right. Uh, and it sounds really simple, and it's not, um, but that's ultimately the kind of goal we're after. So when you see it on shelf, it's like, oh, that's Ritz, but it's right. new, it's updated, it's fresh, it's not anybody else. Yeah. Is, no, it, is it easier to work with clients that, um, you know, like if you work with a client like Hershey, there are archives and there is so much history and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So there, there's a lot to kind of reference from. Is it more sure. difficult? Or easier when you're dealing with a new client who wants to set out on you know and just start from start from scratch. Yeah. Is, is it more difficult to sell that than it is to be like, well, you know, this is where it was in history, and now we've added this to it. it yeah, I'm curious. It all it all depends. I mean, it's it's always difficult because you always want to do kind of we do a world class design that's really conceptual, that's really striking. So it's a different. I guess it's not easier or more difficult. It's just a different challenge. Right. So sometimes the equities and the affinity that people have for a brand, that is something you have to kind of move forward and, and evolve. Right. Um, but equally, when you start with a new brand, it's equally as difficult because you're starting, you're creating everything from scratch. So then how do you benchmark that design in, in the marketplace? You know, so how do you, yeah. Um, yeah, how do you, it's, yeah, they're both, they're both challenging, but great challenges. We're always yeah. up. 
That sounds so cool. All yeah. right. So let's let's go back now. <laughs> After we've gone all over the place. I love this stuff. I could talk about it for days. Um, I'm not really sure why. I'm not sure. I, I worked in a grocery store for three and a half years uh, in high school. I worked at ShopRite and Ramsey. So and do you think that was part I think of... It had, I think it kind of re... I don't know. I, it's weird. Like when... when uh, over the course of the over the past year, I've kind of been trying to track where it all came from, uh, and I've always been a, I've always liked brands. I used to like NASCAR when I was a kid. I, I grew up in like the uh, yep. like the McDonald's NASCAR Happy Meal times. So so then I started watching like they used to remember like Bill Elliott was like really big, and they would like give out the NASCARs. <laughs> and then I was like, well, McDonald's, I can't just have McDonald's, and I would get every brand of the NASCAR. And then oh, no way. Yeah, and then I worked in grocery stores, and then I would stock shelves, so then I would see that, and I would look at them every day, and I'd be like, oh, no shit, like, they did that, like, look how neat, they, they added that <laughs> thing there, so I'm trying, I've tried to trace where it is, it's a whole so bunch I, of different reasons. You then, so you were artistic as a kid in some way, I would imagine? Yeah, uh, I was, I was art, artistic, um, I kind of had, like, a natural ability that I still don't think, in a lot of ways, I've been able to get back to, as, yep. as Weird as that sounds, I remember I would just be very like free form and the things that I would make like, like my dad said that one time I came downstairs and uh, he came downstairs to his office and um, I went through two uh, full packages of paper replicating the Titanic because I was really into the Titanic and he was so and he was so mad when he first came down there because his office was was like destroyed and then (laughs) and then he went and then he was like cleaning up his office and put all the papers away and stuff like that, all the shreds. Yeah. I was never good at picking up after myself. And then uh, he went Pretty to go- Rob. Don't worry. It's, it's, it's not your fault. <laughs> we're, not, we're not neat people. And then At least he, myself. Yeah, yeah, I still make a mess too. You don't want me in like the production room. Um, <laughs> and then he went to go like look at uh, like all like the details of it. And I had like Rose and Jack on the front of the Titanic and there was like ladders going up to it. Wow. I would just get so obsessive with things, and um, I'm trying to get back to that. As, my, as I bought markers, crayons, everything I possibly can to get into that uh, that unhindered mindset. But it's it's hard, you know. I've been looking at the yeah, dye line yeah, for I too mean, long. I've been looking. At, I've been referencing people's work for too long. I'm trying to get back to a more primitive state of design, if that makes any sense at all. No, it makes it makes complete sense. I mean, I my experience as a kid was was pretty similar. Um, yeah. Just loved drawing and but loved. I was the youngest of three kids, so I would have to go to the store with my mom all the time because I wasn't old enough to kind of yeah. stay on. Same own. So my a lot of my memories with three two other brothers, three boys all together was going to the store a lot, yeah. going to the grocery store, kind of being toted around in that cart. So whether it was the Barnum and Bailey, that beautiful pack, yeah, with the string, like that would be my my kind of appeasement. Yeah, uh, every time the store, but I just loved going by all those aisles. Whether it was the little like plastic jug, um, like the barrel water things, or like all the cereal aisle was great. So for yeah. me, that was it was the start of it, and I would just love going. And then when I got older, it was drawing like band logos and stuff. So I always loved the sort of communication, the immediacy, the colors, right. the vibrancy that happened there. Yeah. Um, so now I think it's it is it makes complete sense what you were saying like keeping it loose keeping it kind of creative when you approach a project um, now that's totally what we do is um, you know start with sketches start with paper get out of the office start with start with ideas right. um, because it's so from a creative process standpoint it is really easy to 
get bogged down in sort of the the strategy or you know documents or you know so you have to absorb that in a way and build it into the work but um, you have to kind of step away and say all right got it now how are we going to solve right. this problem in a visual way because you can go through a brief yeah. you can go through a document and that that will have all the information but that's not going to tell you how to do it either you have to yeah. be kind of intuitive and and step away and, and think about it um, you know as as a creative as um, I wouldn't say an artist, but yeah, we're as a designer. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I definitely uh, had that same thing, like being dragged with my mom. This is all making sense now. This has become like a therapy session. This is great. Uh, yeah, I do this every week. I'm going to charge you. <laughs> I, I probably need it after the year that I've had. It would be good. <laughs> and yeah, I, well, I grew up in the 90s too. And I think yeah. that uh, that's probably a lot. I would, I have no research to back this up, but I, that's probably why there's such, by millennials, there's such a love of package design. And, yeah. and I think that that's because we grew up in the time of when package designers were getting their freak on and just doing crazy, irrational, like, <laughs> holograms. And, and uh, you know, it was a little too yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think they've refined it now. And it's better and makes more sense. But the 90s were definitely a time of, you know, very colorful, at least in, the, at least in my world at the time. So. Yeah, yeah. Nineties were. Uh, that's when I, I started in the late the late nineties. So I, I probably contributed to that yeah. kind of lucid dream of packaging. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was different then. It was it was very kind of swoopy and colorful and much more about the flash and shouting at shelves. So it's uh, yeah. There's crazy shit on shelves back then. Yeah. So. All right. Let's talk about your the journey of your career. Let's get let's get to okay. that. Okay. Let's get to <laughs> so it. So you started as an intern at Ciavara Design. Is that right? Ah, I'm taking you back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's um, yeah, that was really. Fun. It's uh, Chavara Design. It was. I don't know if it's still around. To be honest, um, that was. I found that internship. It's in Boston. Um, while I was in school, um, in my true kind of like unprepared way at the time, I, I sent them a note. You know, a couple weeks before the school ended, and said, "Oh, you know, can I have an internship?" Um, not really knowing much about them, but. You know, it sounded like a cool place. They were in Howe Magazine um, yeah. as a really cool office space. So at that time, it, there wasn't a lot of um, websites or, or ways to contact them. So a cool office, like in Boston. So I grew up south of Boston. So, um, But it, it was such a great experience to realize that, okay, this is a real thing. This is a job. And they did print collateral for what are now defunct um, uh, tech, technology businesses like digital computers and insurance and they did a bit of packaging too which really that was the kind of thing that really piqued my interest the most um yeah and all, like my first professionally printed piece was there so it was it was great i worked really hard there the people were really um supportive so just to be in that kind of environment where people wanted to help you and um wanted to help you grow was just it was amazing um so i really just springboarded from there to uh once i graduated that's so cool uh, and then shortly thereafter a year, a year, right? Yeah, a year later, uh, you got a job as a designer at designer or an intern was it when you started at Sterling. Uh, I was a designer. I was technically a junior designer at uh, what yeah. was then Sterling Group. Sterling Group, now today known as Sterling Brands. Um, yeah. So tell me about what that was like, and uh, you, you came to Sterling Brands in New York, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there were I mentioned a minute ago, I went to Syracuse and a lot of, um, quite a few people from that program, communication design at Syracuse worked at 
at Sterling, there were two people, I think two or three at the time. So I knew of, of Sterling and everyone spoke really highly of it um, for, for the packaging uh, sort of experience. And uh, in my book in school, that was like, that's what I really started to, to fall in love with, packaging. Um, so when I went to New York, um, this is a really funny story. I, my portfolio case, people didn't have the digital yeah. PDF or anything at the time. I had the biggest portfolio case you've ever seen in your life. It seriously weighed about 20 pounds, and I was wearing a suit in a, in a design interview, which is ridiculous now. I, you know, I looked like I could be serving drinks. So You're I was trying walking, to get your Michael Beirut on. I, I was. I don't think I was doing a very good job because it was summer, black suit, heavy portfolio case, walking all over the city. But I did find um, Sterling Group at the time. Um, and started there, and it was just in the sort of the early days of that company um, as a sort of breakaway from from Michael Peters and guys like um, Simon Williams, who's the CEO of the company, and and Debbie obviously was there, yeah. um, Marcus and Simon Lynch. So, um, and that was about 1998. So it was a much sort of smaller kind of entrepreneurial startup at that point. Right. Um, it, it, sort of the roots of it, and it was it was very similar to the Chivari experience, and I think that's sort of a broader point where you have to find you have to find your tribe find people that you sort of believe in and that believe in you and um, share the same values right. and you're just going to push each other and challenge each other to do to do really interesting work so I think that's for a young designer that's the critical thing in the first few steps of your career um, just find the people that you you can learn from straight away and yeah. spend spend five years and then you know go go to another place potentially next so you keep learning from different sets of people right. because we, um, so from Sterling, I went to spring design partners. Um, right. so after about, I think it was about nine years. Um, I went to a completely you different, there, you left there a senior designer, correct? Uh, I was design, uh, design director when I left. Oh, design director. Uh, right, right, right. Early. Okay. Yeah. And I went to a place called spring and it's very different as a kind of more, um, single man, Ron Wong, who's the creative director there. Um, single proprietor, but you know, as people do, they have different takes on the world, different takes on designing. So it was really eye-opening to me to go to a completely different place and sort of learn a, a slightly modified, slightly different way of doing it. Right. Uh, which I think, if you're if you do that every few years as a young designer, you're going to be you're going to be amazing, and you're going to learn so much right. uh, more quickly, maybe than someone who stays at the same place for a while. Yeah. I think just the the value of learning from lots of different people. To me, that's one of the bigger lessons I've learned yeah. um, in my career to date. For sure. Um, yeah. So while you were at uh, Sterling Brands, what were some, and I know you mentioned you work with uh, Debbie, and, and uh, yep. who's been on the podcast, who, uh, who's awesome, and, yeah. uh, and Simon, who she's told me about. Uh, I think he coined that thing about uh, generators and drains that she had mentioned, which I thought was like brilliant. So... Sterling Brands, if you're watching this, what's up? Um, so while you were working there, what were some of the... the uh, I'm either going to get a great job from this podcast or never work in this town again. I'm not really sure. Who knows? But, yeah, uh, I don't know. You'll, you'll get into it, Rob. I don't know. You'll, you'll have to sell it from there. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> so while you were working at Sterling Brands, uh, I know that right now they, they work with some pretty big brands. So what were some of the brands you were working with on that, that first go-around at Sterling? Oh, wow. Um, we could leave it out if you can't remember. It's okay. <laughs> I don't know. I re the, the funnest things that I worked on, and I think where I started to really enjoy packaging, I worked on Altoids. I love Altoids. Uh, 
Altoids, they were owned by Kraft at the time. I, I'm not sure who owns them now, but this was quite it's a, a British few years company, ago. I think. Yeah. Um, I might just be stereotyping, but, who knows. <laughs> yeah, you probably are. It's okay. <laughs> but it was just these display merchandise things for Altoids, and it was a completely wide-open brief. Um, but in the spirit of that brand, the advertising was always really witty and clever. Um, and sort of to, to build on the advertising and build that presence within store, um, I did these, what I thought at the time were, were pretty cool, probably not the best executed thinking about it at the time, but there was an idea there, there was a kind of a humor to it, um, and that was the funnest thing, um, and that was the first thing I remembered, just a quirky brand that had a story, had something to say, um, and then bringing that in into the retail environment. I mean, I, that was, I think, by far one of my favorite things to do there was um, get under the skin of a heritage brand and, and make sure they had something interesting to say. Yeah. Um, so, so then after that, you went to, uh, you became the vice president and design director at Sterling Brands. That was in 2010. Uh, how did you end up going back yeah. and what's it like to go back, uh, three years, five months later? Yeah. I mean that, it was a really great experience cause a lot of the same, the same characters, um, that I had worked with, uh, years previously, they were still there. So Simon and Debbie, um, but the, the business had really grown up. Um, even in the time since I was away in the couple years that I was away. So um, sort of the soul of the company was still the same. Those people still, I mean, a guy named Mike Bainbridge, who's really brilliant sort of strategic um, design planning guy. They were all still there. So it was really nice to have that sort of reunion in a way, working with those guys. Um, and I always loved their approach to work. And um, so what I found the sort of benefit of going back was really um, fusing strategy and design together. Um, their design intelligence department was, was really bright, had really great people, um, probably still does, yeah. uh, I would imagine. But that, again, going back to how you sort of found the work in a truth or how you found the work in something um, tangible for the consumer, I felt like that was something they always did really well. So it was good to get, get back to that um, and really get back to more of a, a rigorous process for creating great, great design. And then after that, you yeah. ended up... Uh Skipping ahead two years here, you went to became the VP and creative director at Bulletproof, where you are today. So, uh, yeah. so uh, we talked about it a little bit before. You guys work with brands like Maxwell House and and Ritz. What was that like, and how was the culture at Bulletproof different than Sterling? And um, how'd you? Yeah. What was it like when you arrived there? Yeah, I mean, when I first met, so Gush owns Bulletproof. He's the founder. Um, so we met for coffee about five years ago um, and it was an opportunity just being a creative director in general was one I'd been wanting for quite a while when I met him um, and he's such a passionate really brilliant guy when it comes to design really inspiring sort of as a as a character just just in life in general so I was really enthused by meeting with him um, but what the company offered was almost a uh, a window back into that kind of startup for me of Sterling days. When it was a smaller team, you had to be more entrepreneurial. Um, everyone sort of pitched in and you were really, uh, you know, acting together to achieve something, something big. It was just, it was sort of a gift. Um, and it was basically my, my dream job at the time and still is today to do great work, to work with great people, um, but really building something from scratch. So I, I feel really lucky to have had that um, and continue to have that opportunity. Yeah, that's so awesome. Um, was it kind of an adjustment period where you had to go from like working at uh, much because at, at up to 2012, I mean Sterling Brands is pretty big at that point. Having having to go 
smaller again. What, what's that feel like? What's that like? It was it was pretty wild to be honest because um, at the time Sterling, I, I don't recall how big it was, but in a big big office, say it's eighty people, hundred people, whatever yeah. the number is. Um, and when we started at Bulletproof, I mean, I was the second person um, in New York, so oh. we were in a WeWork space um, for a little while. I think less than a year, but you know, close to a year. Um, and there was only two of us for for a while. So um, I found it really exciting because I would work with with the UK team on on design, and I would present stuff um, to some of our clients in the U.S. So we had existing clients that helped form some of some of the bases for the New York office. Um, so I was definitely working remotely um, and had a really tight bond with the creative team there, which really helped um, keep me confident, keep me feeling good about the company. But um, it was very, it was, you couldn't be more different uh, in terms of the experiences. It was going from completely well-established, really well-known to who's Bulletproof? Yeah. Like, who are you guys? Nobody, nobody knew. And, you know, that's hopefully we're, we're sort of changing that now with some of the, the good work we do. But, um, yeah, it takes a long time to build up the reputation. But that was something I really loved. You know, going into a WeWork, knowing what it would be then to what it would be eventually. I mean, that's sort of like, that's the dream, to build it into something. Um, and we're still still working on it. Right. I think you guys are definitely doing a great job of that. Um, and I know uh, Debbie Emin from your uh, London offices. What's up, girl? Hey. But uh, <laughs> uh, we've been, we've been she, talking uh, recently. She's going to love that. Yeah. That you special shout out. Oh, hell yeah. I'll make sure I'll, awesome. I'll email her. Next time yeah. I come to uh, She's great. That, what, that side of the pond, we're definitely going to hang out. Uh, but I think that uh, she and everybody Good. else there, in terms of getting the, the name out for Bulletproof, has done a, a great job because um, I saw you, I think I found you guys on the die line, on like the banner on the die line, I think. Or you were like a sponsor or something yes. for the die line? Yeah. Yeah, we, we have some ads on, on the die line. Yeah, it's definitely visible. It's def- I'm uh, constantly, as you can imagine kind of surfing the internet for cool new companies. And uh, I remember when I, like your, your website and everything is like, I love that website. Who, did you guys do that in-house or is that done Yeah, but the last, the previous version, it's funny, the website was something that really caught my eye initially too. Um, just the, I think it, it speaks to the sort of the confidence of the work. Um, mm-hmm. The name Bulletproof, um, it comes from Gush and Johnny. They were, uh, went to school together, really great friends and, um, Johnny then joined Gush in, in founding and starting up the business. But Bulletproof, um, as a name, came through one of their professors at school who always demanded that their work have a Bulletproof idea at the core. So um, whether it was packaging, advertising, whatever sort of visual execution, if you didn't have that impenetrable idea, that really motivating, really brilliant idea at the heart, it just it didn't matter. It could look beautiful, but if it didn't communicate, it didn't say something really right. smart, true, it didn't, it didn't matter. Um, so then going back to the website, I think that's sort of what struck me about the website. It was very confident, very bold, had an attitude, spoke really plainly and simply but smartly. Um, and that's really what the company's still still all about is, is uh, forming relationships built on that trust but not, not, um, not mincing words, let's say. So yeah. being kind of truthful and, and uh, you know, being, being really naive and thoughtful and curious and all that stuff. So yeah. bringing, bringing truth to people. Hopefully. Yeah, no, for sure. It inspired me to, uh, to redo my website because there's yep. the way in which it kind of slid. And then the way like the X, the, it's like the hamburger and then when you go over it and then it goes in and then the, the X is flipped. 
I think I've just spent like 15 minutes of my life, like just going back and forth on that X thing. You have to wow. check it out. You, you've done your homework. I don't even, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but you, I'm you telling know, you, I was drooling over it. It was good. And I, and, and <laughs> I, having this podcast now, having this podcast and serious ADD, I was just like, who are these bulletproof people? And I have to meet them. So uh, now I did. Yeah. So. I mean, that, That's cool. That must be, yeah, the new website, it's really cool. It's yeah. really, um, yeah, really simple, really well executed. We have to get some new, um, get some new U.S. work up there. So yeah. the the work up there, it's a combination of the U.K. and the U.S. But we have lots and lots of really great U.S. work. We're gonna get up there soon. Awesome. And then also too, I like the way you guys have like the, uh, the Ritz, the boxes, the red boxes, and they're lined up together. And then like the 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 circles of the Ritz meet like on the shelf. And then I'm gonna. I'm gonna- you up with some knowledge, Rob. I'll hit you up with some knowledge. There's a great word for that. And I didn't know this word before I started Bulletproof. Oh, it's exciting. It's tessellation. Tessellation. Ooh. So the effect is tessellation, and those boxes tessellate because it's when you have that pattern that then repeats from, from box to box and forms sort of this the shelf block, wow. um, which is done really well, um, if I do say so. Yeah, for sure. Uh, on Ritz, so that when you do, it's thinking about how you kind of bring the, the show-stopping drama into the, the store, right? So it's not just one box. It's almost an entire billboard for Ritz um, yeah. that's formed out of those crackers that connect from pack, from pack to pack. So great word, tessellation. Tessellation. I don't know if it's a brick thing, but we love some tessellation. Love it. Along your journey in design, um, what have been some of the biggest things that you've learned, whether it be on your portfolio or how to carry yourself, things not to do in meetings, you know, stuff like that. Is there any advice that you can give yeah. to young designers looking for advice? Yeah. I mean, so advice to young designers, I think the, the biggest thing is, um, you know, I said a little while ago, and hopefully it's not too repetitive, but find, find your tribe, basically. Find the people that um, will inspire you and, and keep you um, challenged. And also sort of... Um, you know, as you grow, as you go from designer to senior designer to, you know, hopefully up to design director and beyond, um, people really appreciate that. And you're in an environment where you can grow and your skills are really necessary um, at a given company. I think that's that's the big thing. You have to be in a place where you see the future um, and you're really contributing something important and you really feel like you're a part of that team. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times for people, that that's a journey. So, and you do, I do sympathize with people that have to, jump around and I think that's it can be a really good thing but um, you have to find find the right people um, and then you also asked about the sort of presentation or being yourself I think that's a really fascinating journey as well um, whether it's presenting work or um, just interfacing with clients you have to find your your way of doing it um, because it's never going to sort of come off as true and genuine in you if you're too serious or you're not kind of representing your own personality. So, um, you know, even in this podcast, this is how, you know, we would, you know, talk in a meeting or we would talk during a presentation. It's, it's just finding your style, finding your, your voice um, and just not really being concerned about being anybody else. And I think for me, like that's, that's been one of the longer things to realize is, you know, once you have the experience in, the approach down, you can kind of, you can be yourself. Um, and people really, they respond to that. They want to be with people they enjoy working with and, and have a good time with. Right. One of the, the challenging things that I've found, um, even having this podcast, it, it, it's difficult. So I can only imagine, and I'm the most, as you can see, 
one of the most extroverted people that I, that I that I know. Um, it can be difficult to get. I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm At really all. shy. Yeah, believe it. There was a time in yeah. my life. Um, but you know, there there is. I hear a lot about about you know going out and finding a tribe and and um, yeah. and about connecting with the right people. But there's also kind of this issue that I've found, and I'm really fascinated by, and I'm working to. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I really want to work to kind of try and fix it. But there is this kind of thing where yep. designers want to get experience and they and they want to get involved, but then they, they lack the technical skills. And then I think, well, then the yep. the quick rebuttal to that is like, well, there's like, you know, there's lynda.com and you can look it all up and you can learn it all. But I think in a lot of cases, people don't even know that resources like that exist. And they also don't have the mm -hmm. experience that would merit a job doing that. So say they want to work in package design and have no experience in package yeah. design. It's so difficult to get a job in package design if you don't have the experience. So what would your advice be sure. in something like that for somebody who wants to work in a certain industry that requires a lot of experience, but then doesn't, you know, does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes total sense. Um, yeah. I, I, I really I see a lot of those books um, where people they have interest in branding and packaging in what in what we do here um, and it is it's tough to make that leap um, schools like FIT that have a really um, packaging specific major and from that you see you see very kind of buttoned up really professionally done packaging assignments but you know if you go to other schools I didn't go to um, a particularly um, packaging focused school. So it was more about the broad thinking and, and you know, some executional bits. Um, but I think what, what I would look for, um, in addition to packaging, is just really smart thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so you could have a page layout, you could have a logo design, but if there's an idea, something really conceptual to it, um, that's always really exciting to me. And if it's well done, you know, that, that is something where, you know, if people are really hungry and they want to come in and have a chat and, you know, you know, they seem, uh, kind of genuinely interested in, in growing and trying it, you know, that's always a strong kind of foray into it. I think it's just people respond to excitement and energy. And if you have passion for something, um, that, that goes a long way. So. Uh, another big part of it, of, of kind of getting a foot in the door. And uh, I, I like to, I hope that I've successfully done that here, but I, I know that people ask me because I have the podcast, they say, well, like, you know, how do you come up with self-generated work? And, how to do something that hasn't been done before? Um, how do, how does that play in, into the mix? If somebody has like a um, a personal project, some of, some of the biggest names in our industry, uh, yeah. you know Timothy Goodman and and all that, they all kind of have a project that really put them on and kind of sure. put them into the stratosphere, if you will. Um, how do you, how do you go about making a project? And do you think that that's something that people should do, or do people get too distracted with creating a side project and then they don't have the, the skills required. No, absolutely. I mean, I would say that if, if someone's interested in doing branding and packaging and that's not sort of the bulk of your portfolio, yeah, absolutely do do a self driven kind of self ideated project. Um, cause that, if it, it shows off your skills and thinking like that's, that's a great way to do it. I would always look at that with really high regard that someone actually was so passionate about it. They, you know, under their own steam, did some more work, did some more thinking, just to advance advance their chances and advance their skills. Um, I think it's an amazing, amazing idea. And it's surprisingly not a lot of people do it, which I find a little bit surprising. Um, you know, I said earlier that 
having an idea and then having conceptual stuff in your book is great. But if that person then had a couple like, you know, I know I'm not a packaging designer at the moment, but here are two projects that I, you know, created myself. I wanted to redesign Budweiser, let's say, right. and I created the brief and I thought about the consumer and I thought about the equities as they currently exist. And maybe this is how you improve them. If somebody did that, like you would want to meet that person, at least talk to them. Cause yeah. that's just, that's really impressive. I think, you know, if you treat, if you treat it like an interview or you treat yourself like you're already working in the industry. So, you know, think of it as a kind of start to finish project, you know, you would get, you get a lot of interest from people and, and not a lot of people do it. Yeah. So it's, it's a huge opportunity if someone were to do that. That's so cool. Awesome. All right. Uh, so I, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up on, on that. And thank you so much for all your, your advice on everything. This has been, uh, Definitely yeah, one awesome. of the crazier podcasts, really but it's so fun. I've, I've had a great time talking with you, man. This is uh, I get really geeked out about stuff like this, so I love packing. Yeah, them. no, I think it's <laughs> yeah, seriously. I think it, you know it is. I I do find it really impressive that you have the podcast that you're so thank you uh, passionate about it. We'll have to have you. Um, you have to come by come by the office. Um, I'll come by right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right now? <laughs> Are you next door? <laughs> Imagine yeah. right here. I'm outside, so, dude. <laughs> Wait, there's Rob. <laughs> yeah. Knocking on the window outside. Call me. Right. Yeah, yeah. Send, me, um, send me an email and uh, come by and we'll, we'll hang out. Awesome. Sounds good, man. Well, Thanks so much. Again. I appreciate it.